Well, folks, again, welcome to Grace Fellowship. We're glad that you're here. We are in this uh, series entitled Thrive, and we are looking at the life of Daniel through the next, uh, the first six chapters uh, of this book. And so if you want to get chapter five uh, ready in your Bible or on your device, uh, we are going to look at the verses in that chapter. Before we get to that, I want to talk about the 21 days of prayer and fasting. We are calling the church together in this united prayer effort, and some of you uh, will be led uh, to fast as well in that effort. Uh, many of us are unfamiliar with this spiritual discipline and what this means. So we are, we are going to put uh, resources on our website. If you click 21 days of, of, of prayer and fasting on the website, you will find resources that teach you about fasting. Uh, some of you might be led to fast for, for the entire 21 days, uh, but you don't have to do that. You can fast one day, three days, however, you can pre- uh, fast one day per week uh, in this three-week effort. Uh, whatever God is leading you to do, we encourage and invite you uh, uh, to do that. Uh, we just want you to join us in that. And you have a commitment card uh, that we want you to fill out. If you could put that at connection point. Uh, this morning after the service, uh, we want to know that you're joining us so that we can join you uh, in prayer and praying for you uh, as well. So, okay. Daniel chapter 5, I have a lot of prep uh, to set us up for this story. Uh, Chapter 5 is in contrast to chapter 4. The writer of Daniel has put these two chapters together in contrast to one another. Chapter 4, last week we talked about a dream. Chapter 5 is about a riddle. Uh, Both are used by God to communicate a message. Uh, Chapter 4 is about a king literally uh, going insane. Uh, We looked at that last week, how he ran off into the fields like an animal uh, for a period of time until he came to repentance. Chapter 4 is about a king literally uh, going insane uh, over fear. Uh, He is insane uh, with terror. Chapter 5, if you grew up in Sunday school, you'll be familiar with the handwriting on the wall. That is this chapter, the story of the handwriting on the wall. In chapter 5, the king has a party. And in the middle of that party, a hand without a body writes uh, three words on a wall and freaks everyone out. And of course, again, Daniel is the only one who can interpret these words, but it takes a while to get to him. Uh, These are words of judgment and justice over the Babylonian empire. And that very night... Uh, The empire is no more. Chapter four is about the grace of God. Chapter five is about the justice of God. Chapter four is about the most high who rules over the kingdoms of men. And chapter five is about the most high who rules over the kingdoms of men. He sets them up. He brings them down. He exalts them. He humbles them. And every king is simply a player in the sovereign plan of God to establish his eternal kingdom. Now, between chapter 4 and chapter 5, uh, a lot has happened, okay? Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 has, has died. Uh, before you get to chapter 5, four different kings uh, have come and gone. And in fact, the king in chapter 5, Belshazzar, is actually a co-regent or a co-king with his father who has fled the city and for good reason. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Chapter 4 uh, took at least a year to complete, um, And chapter 5 takes less than 24 hours to complete. And friends, that's what happens with the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, uh, between verses can be minutes or it can actually be years and decades. God is telling us his story. Chapter 4 ends in this way. In verse 27, it ends, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. 
He has submitted and humbled himself before God. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able uh, to humble. Chapter four is about humility and how God responds to humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in the very next verse, chapter five begins this way. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. So quite a... Uh, contrast. Chapter five, chapter four is about humility. Chapter five is about hubris. Hubris. Everybody say hubris. Like you know the word. Everybody say hubris. Hubris. Uh, Most of us don't use that word in sentences, but what what is it? Uh, Hubris is pride. Uh, Actually, hubris is pride on steroids. Uh, It's elevated pride. It's an extremely arrogant, overconfident attitude of one's accomplishments and abilities and significance and importance and value. It's the hubris is the guy at the party who can't stop talking about himself. Hubris is the athlete who who proclaims himself the greatest uh, in the world. Hubris is the entertainer or the politician who just can't stay stay out of the spotlight. uh, Always talking about that. Hubris is the snob that looks down on snobs. Have you ever done that? You know, uh, have you ever looked down on people who looked down on people? Well, most all of us have done that. Okay, let's, let's, let's admit it. Uh, and, and so, but how, how does that work? How do you look down on people who look down on people? Aren't you the person that looks down on people? If you look down on people who look down on people? I mean, you know, uh, we, we hate snobs for doing that, but yet only a non-snob is not snobbish about snobs. We, we all have this tendency uh, to fall into pride and sometimes elevate that to hubris. We are all guilty of pride. Now, that's a little too convicting. We don't want to talk about us this morning. So let's, let's go on. Uh, the, here's the historical context of chapter five. In chapter two, ne- I want to go back to chapter two. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in chapter two where God reveals to him human history. And we saw this statue a couple of weeks ago, how the Babylonian empire, the, the head of gold is one day going to give way to the empire of silver the chest of silver, so, and, and we know this now to be the Medo-Persian empire. Uh, they ruled the earth for several years until the Greeks came along and took over the empire of bronze, uh, which will eventually surrender to the Roman empire, the empire of iron and clay. This is all in scripture and this is all recorded in human history. And one day, Daniel prophesied a stone, the cornerstone, which the builders have rejected, namely Jesus, will bring this statue down. All of the kingdoms of man uh, will give way to the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus brings to earth. Now, we won't, that won't fully be realized until Jesus comes again, but the kingdom of heaven is here. And so at the beginning of chapter five, and and again, this is well-documented in historical writings and archeological evidence. The Persian army is at the gates of Babylon in chapter five. Literally, they are are pushing against the gates of Babylon. They're about to take over. So get that picture in your mind. Uh, Surrounded, Babylon is surrounded by the Persian army, the enemy army. They're about to invade and take over. And so what do we have King Belshazzar doing? He's drinking. <laughs> He's drink- four times, five times in four verses, it mentions drinking. And friends, you need to know that this is no Napa Valley wine tasting thing. I mean, he's, he's drunk and he's getting drunker by the moment. His city is about to be conquered. His empire is about to fall. He is the king, so more than likely he's going to be executed. 
And what's he doing? He's drinking. He's getting drunk. That's what we do, right? Well, that's not what I do. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to what you do because we, uh, we all do something. Uh, there's more. There's more to the story. Verse, four, verse two. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So this verse is filled with defiance and hubris. Uh, Ezra tells us in his book, chapter one, that 5,400 vessels of gold were taken from the temple when Nebuchadnezzar seized Babylon almost 70 years prior. And this would have been the same time that Daniel and his friends would have been carted off to Babylon uh, as exiles as well. So Belshazzar, uh, he has brought in these gold vessels. He's out of control. He's showing off to his friends. He's getting drunker by the minute and all of his friends are doing the same. He's brought in the women now and all the concubines. So how does that party go? I mean, this is just a drunken orgy going on. And what, what are they doing? They're, they're using the sacred vessels of the God of Israel. They're mocking the God of Israel by worshiping their own gods, the gods of Babylon. So while all of this is happening, verse five, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed The king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. He was afraid. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. So physically, this guy is out of control. He's completely drunk. Psychologically, he's out of control. He's completely freaked out and afraid. And physiologically, he has lost control of his bodily functions. This phrase, his limbs gave way, quite literally in the Hebrew is telling us that his intestinal system broke loose. Now that's all the picture I'm going to paint for you. (laughs) This guy is a quivering mess of humanity. He has completely lost it. So as we saw in chapter two, like father, like son, he calls in all of his wise men uh, and he promises that we won't read this verse, but he promises them, if you interpret these words for me, I will give you a chain of gold. I will give you a royal robe and I will put you in the third position of the kingdom, which would have been the the step uh, just below him. And so I'll give you all of this stuff if you can interpret these words. In steps the queen, verse 10. The queen... Because of the words of the king and his lords came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Now we need to ask, who is this queen? This is not the wife of Belshazzar. Uh, We're pretty sure that this is not his wife. Once a queen, always a queen. Most scholars believe uh, from what we read later that this is probably the widow of Nebuchadnezzar the queen mother, the queen grandmother, okay? Nebuchadnezzar has been dead for about 20 years, a little over 20 years. She has not been a part of this party. She only comes because she uh, catches wind of what's going on. Uh, Daniel would, would be in his, in his 70s at this point. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom has been gone for about 20 to 30 years. And so uh, quite probably um, at the death of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel... Uh, 
could have lost his position in the kingdom, or he could have retired. He's in his 70s, so he could have retired in some way, or, or just been ignored by the succeeding administrations during this uh, period of time. He's, uh, he's been out of the mainstream long enough for Belshazzar to not even know who he is. Okay, so the queen grandmother uh, obviously remembers Daniel. And she remembers what happened in chapter two and chapter three and chapter four, because she says this in verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. This is the exact phrase described, uh, describing Daniel in chapter four. In the days of your father, which would be his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your grandfather, the, the, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called... Call him in because he can, he can interpret these words for you. To which Belshazzar says, at least he's smart enough to listen to his grandmother. What could it hurt? Let's, let's bring him in. Verse 13, Daniel was brought in before the king and the king answered to Daniel, you, you are that Daniel. Now notice, notice the wording of that. You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. Can you detect a little bit of mockery in his address, even in his debilitating fear, he has just mocked the God of Israel. He doesn't want advice. He doesn't want to admit his need of help from a uh, Hebrew, from a Jew, but he gives them the same deal. He, he says to the, da, interpret this for me, Daniel, and I'll give you possessions. I will give you gold. I will give you prestige. I will put the royal robe on you. I will give you power. I will put you third in line in this kingdom. Everything that anyone would want, right? Who doesn't want money, fame, and power? All the things that hubris is made of. Do you want to be somebody, Daniel? I will make you somebody. Just do this for me and I'll do that for you. Verse 17, Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your stuff. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't need it. You have nothing to offer me. Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, notice that word, nevertheless, he's telling the king, you don't have what I want, but that won't keep me from doing what you need. Now understand that friends. Nevertheless, I'm going, I'm going to interpret this for you, even though you have nothing worth offering. Now, friends, this is important. Daniel's been around the block. He's been in exile for 70 years. He is well acquainted with ridicule and, and, and abuse, being mistreated, disrespected. And yet he never stopped doing his job. He never stopped doing what God had called him to do in this, in this evil empire. And you might want to, you know, ask yourself, why, why would he do this? How would he do this? And uh, to that, I have to bring you back to chapter one. Uh, if you'll remember, Daniel said, you can change my home. You can change my job. Uh, you can take my family away from me. You can change my name, but you will never change who I am. Da Daniel never lost his identity. He never lost his purpose. He knew who he was and why he was here. So what can man, what can man do to me? Why would I want a necklace of gold when I've been promised streets of gold? Why would I want a royal robe from a crumbling kingdom when I've been given the robe of righteousness? Why would I want to be third in line in a kingdom of man 
when I am already a child of the Most High who rules the kingdoms of men. Belshazzar, you have nothing that I want. Friends, you have to, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to be grounded, you have to be rooted, you have to understand your identity in Christ. We've been talking about thriving in this series, thriving in a dark, difficult, broken world that does not respect your faith, uh, disregards your faith, sometimes mistreats you because of your faith. And how are you going to survive that? How are you going to thrive in that? When you know who you are and why you are, friends, you can rise above any criticism or judgment of man. What can man do to you? There is no power of man that that can discourage you or defeat you. When you know who you are and why you are, no mockery of this world can diminish you or deter you from your purpose. Our calling is to love the world, to seek the prosperity of the world, not to be loved by the world. So regardless of how the world treats us, we can do the things that God has called us to do. Now, if I were Daniel, and this is why I'm not, I would just say to Belshazzar, buddy, you're an idiot and you deserve everything you get. But again, that doesn't, Daniel has been treated like a common prisoner in exile. He's been shoved off into oblivion. He's been forgotten for all of the things that he's done for Nebuchadnezzar and the king and the empire. And yet that doesn't keep him from honoring God by serving the king. And so he says to the king, I don't want your stuff, first of all. Secondly, I can and I will uh, do what you ask. But third, Belshazzar, before I do that, I... I want to tell you a little story. And so in the following verses, uh, we have the story of Belshazzar's grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And we looked at that story last week. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that humbled him before God. And he wrote about that. He wrote out his testimony and he disseminated it throughout the entire kingdom. He wanted all of his empire to know of his encounter with the one true God. And you have that story in the next four verses. And then in verse 22, Daniel contrasts King Nebuchadnezzar with King Belshazzar. In fact, he uses the pronoun addressing Belshazzar, you, the pronoun you and your 14 times. Unlike your father, Belshazzar, you didn't humble yourself. You lifted yourself up against God. You praised the gods of wood and stone. You would not Humble yourself. He makes this, Belshazzar, I knew Nebuchadnezzar. I worked for Nebuchadnezzar. I worked with Nebuchadnezzar. I was a friend of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar, you are no Nebuchadnezzar. You have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your very breath And whose are all your ways you have not honored. You, you Belshazzar, have defied the king of heaven. Now, in the the beginning of verse 22, he makes this point, though you knew all this, though you knew all this. This is, again, this is so powerful. Belshazzar, you, you would have known this story. You've had this story for 20 years, the story of your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He, Nebuchadnezzar wanted everyone to know this story. And for 20 years, Belshazzar has ignored this story. He has rejected this story. He has mocked this story. And now the handwriting is on the wall. Time is up. Belshazzar, you knew this. 
And you, you knew this, and yet you lifted yourself up against the king of heaven for years, culminating in this drunken, opulent display of hubris. You are now without excuse. You have no defense. Justice has come. Judgment is coming down. Let's be clear on this, friends. Last week, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a year, 12 months. He had the dream and he ignored for 12 months. He ignored the meaning and the fulfillment of this dream. He didn't get it. He didn't surrender and he paid the consequences. The dream actually came true. But because of that, he humbled himself before God. He came to the point of repentance and acknowledged the true God of Israel. It's the classic salvation story. Friends, we've all done that. Some of you are doing that now. We know this and yet we're ignoring it. We know this and yet we want to push it off. I've got time. I don't need to take this seriously right now. I'll do what I want and I'll deal with God later. Do you remember the story in the gospel where Jesus told uh, uh, about a wealthy farmer and he had so many crops that he didn't, he, he didn't know what to do with all of his crops. And so he kept building bigger and bigger barns to store all of his crops. And then Jesus said that night he died. That night he died. Now the problem wasn't his crops. The problem wasn't that he had money. The problem was that he had what often comes with money. Pride, hubris, self-assurance, self-sufficiency. The problem was he didn't have God. I'll just deal with him later. Now, maybe some of you um, have that Uncle Bill story you know, everyone has an Uncle Bill and uh, he was a scoundrel all of his life, but then he got sick and he had this deathbed confession, you know, just in the nick of time and good for him. I mean, we're, we're, we're not going to judge that, but here's the deal, friends. None of us have a guarantee that we're going to eat lunch this afternoon. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar had 12 months. He finally got it together. Belshazzar had 20 years. And he continued to raise a fist to God. How much time do you have? Who knows? But it might be more, it might not be as much as you're banking on. <laughs> the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says right now is the moment God is talking to you and calling you. Friends, don't rob yourself of the mercy of God by presuming on the mercy of God. This is Belshazzar's story. And we've gone through this whole story and we haven't even gotten to the words yet. So what about, what about the words? Verse 24, then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was uh, inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. Uh, four, three words, one uh, repeated. This is the interpre interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Prez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Verse 29, I won't read it, but Daniel, you know, uh, the reward that Daniel refused from Belshazzar, Belshazzar extends anyway, but <laughs> what is that worth when you've got hours left? Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Chapter five, friends, chapter five, what does it tell us? What does it talk to us about? Chapter five reminds us of the destructive power of self-deception and the inescapable justice of God. The destructive power of self-deception and the inescapable justice of God. The problem with chapter five is that it doesn't have a happy ending. 
And we all like happy endings, right? Every story should have a happy ending. And that's why we need chapter four. And that's why we need to understand the destructive power of self-deception. You know, was Belshazzar uh, so entrenched in pride? Was he so filled with hubris that he just couldn't, he just couldn't, uh, he was incapable of acknowledging the reality of his situation? The army is literally at his doors, pushing down the gates. Or was he so much in denial that he was just oblivious, blind to his impending doom? Either way, you've got to ask yourself, what is it with the drinking? Right, right? What is it with the drinking? And again, this is, this is not your run-of-the-mill kegger, okay? So this, this, is a, this is a person in existential crisis and collapse. And I want to tell you, friends, we all do this. We all do this. If it's not alcohol, it's something else. We all try, we, here's the, and here's the deal, friends. You are wired for significance. God created you uh, for significance. Your life matters. Belshazzar is on this, on this edge of existential collapse. And this, this is what happens to all of us. We want to know that we matter. We need to know that we na- matter. We need to know that our life means something. And if we can't find the reason beyond ourselves, we will look to everything that the world has to offer, but we will, ha- we will come up short. If we can't find that reason that lasts, then what else are we to do but eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow we die. None of it matters. Friends, all addiction is rooted in the insatiable need to matter. And that's why in recovery, the first thing you learn is that there is a power higher than yourself that is the only answer to your insanity. There is only one that can bring you into your right mind. Belshazzar's story is my story. It's your story. It's everyone's story. Our days have been numbered. Our lives have been weighed. We cannot make our lives matter on our own. And this, by the way, friends, is the bad news side of the good news, the gospel. You've missed the mark. You've come up short. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's talk about the inescapable justice of God. Then God created you, which means that you are accountable to him. And we, but we have fallen short. We are accountable to him that it is not the other way around. None of us are autonomous. We have been created and we are answerable to our creator. At the heart of pride is, the, is claiming the authority that belongs only to God. And that's why he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Belshazzar shook his face at God and God responded. Friends, God always responds. God has to respond. He would not be holy if he did not respond to that. The, the problem with this is that uh, this, this is where God gets himself in trouble, I think. I, it, it's not that he's just. It's that he's merciful. He's not only a God of judgment. He's, he's, he's a God of grace. He actually loves you. Your life has been weighed and the scales are out of balance, not in your favor. Now, if God didn't love you, that wouldn't be a problem. He would just pronounce the death sentence and be done with you. But God loves you. And love always comes at a price. And so, by the way, this is the good news side of the good news, the gospel. Your life has been weighed and the scales are out of balance. But Jesus steps in on the other side. Friends, the cross reveals what it costs God to punish sin without punishing you. But don't wait. 
Don't miss out on the mercy of God by presuming on the mercy of God. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I, where, where is it in your life? What area of your life are you still saying to God, you know what, I, I kind of want to do what I want. I'll deal with you later. Or if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know we're not, we're not guaranteed our next breath. God loves you, but he has to respond. He has to respond. And he has responded to you with Jesus. He has tipped the scales in your favor because he died for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for this message this morning. Father, we pray that we would take this message seriously, that we would not put it off, that we would not wait, that we would not presume on your mercy, but that we would experience all of the life that you've promised us through the sacrifice of your son and that we would be aware of all your goodness that you desire for us because we've humbled ourselves and we've acknowledged you in our lives. To that end, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.